This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey everybody, how's it going? Thanks for joining me. I am Oren McIntyre. So today I want to talk to you a little bit about the ongoing leftist civil war that we seem to have brewing over on the progressive side. Now, the question of the conflict in Gaza has created a split between kind of the more woke vanguard of the left and then the more establishment part of the left that tends to be more pro-Israel, that kind of thing. And this war has really developed in a very interesting way. You have a lot of people claiming cancellations. You have different uh, you know, congressmen being censured. You have actions being taken by both sides to kind of tamp down what's happening. But I want to explain to you why this kind of shows us the role that wokeness plays inside the leftist coalition. I have a longstanding bet with my friend, academic agent, over whether or not wokeness will be put away, whether the more mainstream elements of the regime will be able to put a halt to an ideology that is very destructive, is obviously very bad for the host nations that have embraced it. He thinks they will. I think they won't. I want to explain a little bit today as, uh, about why I think that's not going to happen, specifically in the context of this kind of ongoing, ongoing ideological conflict that is currently centered on the real physical conflict in Gaza. But before we do that, guys, let's go ahead and hear from today's sponsor. Universities today aren't just neglecting real education, they're actively undermining it, and we can't let them get away with it. America was made for an educated and engaged citizenry. The Intercollegiate Studies Institute is here to help. ISI offers programs and opportunities for conservative students across the country. ISI understands that conservatives and right-of-center students feel isolated on college campuses and that you're often fighting for your own reputation, dignity, and future. Through ISI, you can learn about what Russell Kirk called the permanent things, the philosophical and political teachings that shaped and made Western civilization great. ISI offers many opportunities to jumpstart your career. They have fellowships at some of the nation's top conservative publications like National Review, The American Conservative, and The College Thinker. If you're a graduate student, ISI offers funding opportunities to sponsor the next great generation of college professors. Through ISI, you can work with conservative thinkers who are making a difference. Thinkers like Chris Rufo, who currently has an ISI researcher helping him with his book. But perhaps most importantly, ISI offers college students a community of people that can help them grow. If you're a college student, ISI can help you start a student organization or a student newspaper or meet other like-minded students at their various conferences and events. ISI is here to educate the next generation of great Americans. To learn more, go to ISI.org. That's ISI.org. All right. So how does wokeness play into this current conflict inside the left? We see this internecine warfare between these leftist factions. And you're probably wondering, is, is this a serious split? Is this, is this the end of the left? Is this going to crack up the coalition? I mean, there, there's all these powerful forces inside the left clashing with each other. Surely that's got to be good for the right whenever the left are fighting. 
that that's got to be a good sign for for their opponents right i want to break this down and, and explain kind of the context in which this is happening now first we've seen a number of people make claims about you know people getting fired due to their pro-palestinian support a lot of people saying uh they i've been i've been censored at my university or at my my large company because uh you know i i voiced this support for palestine and this shows my my tribulations through this the way i'm being persecuted because of my beliefs this kind of thing a lot of people on the left want to try to blame this on conservatives now it's kind of funny because i've watched a lot of people who have tried to blame what's happened to them uh, on conservatives do this while being employed by incredibly radically left companies for instance the parent company of uh for instance rolling stone uh <laughs> there are people who said they've been fired from that due to their uh, their pro-Palestine stance. Now, maybe that's true. Maybe that's not. Maybe you're just blaming the current thing for why you got fired. But if that's true, the Rolling Stone and, and its parent company are obviously not very right-wing organizations. These are not organizations that are populated by extremely conservative people, by people of the right. That's just not the case. And surely when it comes to universities, I, I kind of doubt that almost anyone is actually being punished there. But to the extent that that's happening, again, these are not right-wing organizations. These are hard left-wing organizations. And so if, you know, to the degree at which there are actually cancellations happening, there are actually costs being paid, that cost is to, being paid to left-wing organizations. They're being paid to progressive organizations. Universities, Rolling Stone Magazine, these are radically left-wing organizations. So if they are actually punishing punishing people, because of their pro-Palestinian beliefs, it's not because they've adopted a conservative stance on things, that they're being canceled by a conservative uh, cancel culture. That, that's just not the case. Not that the right couldn't or shouldn't do so if they had the opportunity, but they simply don't. They're not the ones in power in this scenario. So what's actually happening is this is this is kind of left-on-left -left violence, right? This is, this is internecine warfare between left-wing factions. So who are these factions? Well, you have a more establishment left-wing, and that more establishment left-wing is going to be people like your Nancy Pelosi's. You know, They're going to be the people who are running these major organizations for the most part, the ones who are still kind of the legacy, uh, leftover, old, old left faction that, that are kind of in charge of much of this. And that faction tends to be pro-Israel. They tend to be people who are in favor of protecting the state of Israel and, and, and kind of what it does, those kind of things. And then you have the, kind of the new leftist vanguard, the more woke portion of the left. And they tend to be those that are uh, new arrivals. They tend to be newer immigrants or people who, are, who have climbed the ladder inside kind of the intersectional left over the last decade or two. Or two. And these people tend to be more pro-Palestine for a couple of reasons. One, they tend to be people who have immigrated into the West, and so they tend not to be as wrapped up kind of in, in the idea of, uh, I guess, the, the creation of Israel as kind of a post-World War II haven. They tend to have less of a connection to that, that narrative that has run through much of, uh, of the West. And they also uh, tend to be from places you know, that, that are Muslim. A lot of, there are many Muslim uh, immigrants involved in kind of that immigration and so they have their own kind of cultural bias their 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 own ethnic bias over what side they would be on they're they're again they're not just uh, kind of a 
uh, ideologically driven entirely. They're, they're driven by kind of their history and their allegiance to their faith and their allegiance to the culture that they left. And they also tend to have adopted that narrative of uh, colonialism, right? They tend to look at, uh, j- just as the woke narrative on people of European descent, whites has been that they are colonizers, they are oppressors, they are the settlers, they are the people who come in and control things. Uh, that, that has kind of been their narrative and their reason why they think it's okay to hate people due to their, the color of their skin if they're white. They, ha- they have all internalized a lot of that narrative, and they have also now applied it to Israel. Israel is a state that is carved out of what was once Palestine. Uh, you know, obviously, there's a lot of history there. The, you know, the Jewish people have, uh, have owned it at different times. Uh, the Arab people have owned it at different times. You know, it's been owned by the Romans and the Christians of, of all kinds of stripes. There's th- that area has been very contentious for a long time. Ownership has been up in the air for a very long time. And so it's all about, about kind of where and when you want to draw your history. But for the current narrative, it's very clear that kind of Israel is the oppressor and the Palestinians are the oppressed. And therefore, those who kind of have this this woke ideology immediately feel themselves drawn to the more Palestinian side of this conflict. And so what you're seeing is the clash between these two groups. And it's very interesting because, uh, you know, the, the left has captured most of the critical nodes of power inside the United States. They have almost complete cultural hegemony it's kind of hard to overstate how much they control a lot of what's going on in the united states and the wider west and so it's really hard for the left in some ways because well obviously it's not hard for them because they're they're winning all this stuff and they control all this stuff it's hard for them because they've got a narrative built in to the leftist idea of the eternal revolution and and being oppressed right that that's part of it a core part of leftism is being oppressed by the oppressor. And what allows for the permanent revolution of leftism is the fact that you're kind of always the underdog. You're always the downtrodden. You're always the oppressor. Well, if you're in control of every system in the United States, if you're control in control of the culture, if you're in control of the media, if you're in control of academia, if you're in control of corporations, which they are, then it's hard to look like the underdog, right? It's hard to look like the oppressed. And so you, you need a new reason or you need a, a different narrative that kind of brings around uh, the idea that, that you are under attack. Now, the media will come around and they'll dust off uh, MAGA supporters, uh, you know, from like January 6th or something, or some guys who are in some kind of, you know, stupid group or something. And they'll kind of parade them around and show trials and try to make them look really scary. Oh, look, you know, it's an attack on our democracy, yada, yada, yada. But eventually that stuff just kind of looks weak. Like you can keep pretending that like evangelical Christians are just about to establish their theocracy or whatever. But really, eventually it makes it clear that these people don't really hold power. They, they keep going to jail. They keep getting arrested. They keep getting fired from their jobs. Uh, and, and all the leftists keep controlling everything. And so eventually it just kind of becomes obvious that, that these aren't real threats to the revolution. And if these aren't real threats to the revolution, I mean, they're, don't get me wrong, they're still going to hold up Red America as the, as the evil thing that they have to suppress in order to control everybody. They're still going to talk like that. But, but you, you need more credible threats, right? You need more credible threats. You need to build that oppression narrative. The Christians can't do it. 
uh, you know, the, the, the people in the Republican Party can't do it. So, like, obviously, there's got to be some way in which you can kind of convince people that the revolution can still continue. So what wokeness does, it, it, is, it allows the revolution to continue by allowing the more radical kind of gay race communists in, in the West to eat the neoliberal tail of the movement. So you've got the kind of the establishment liberals, they're kind of the, the neoliberals, those who embrace, uh, you know, global capital and these kind of things, uh, but, but are also kind of for the status quo and then you have your more radical ran vanguard and they're the ones pushing, you know, trans kids and, and, uh, you know, oppressor oppressed narratives, colonization narratives, decolonization narratives. And so the thing you want to do, if you want to keep the revolution going is you have the vanguard kind of continue to attack the establishment. It, it's not really a new pattern for a communist revolution. I mean, you know, here, you know, stop me if you've heard this one, the revolution eats their own, right? That's not a new thing. That's kind of the path that all communist revolutions take. If you, if you continue the revolution, if you allow the revolution to be the driving force of your political power, eventually you have to start eating the establishment too. You have to eat the, the last revolutionary so that the new revolutionaries can continue to generate power. So it's, it's not new that it's happening in the United States or the wider West. But the wokeness in particular is a particularly American strain, right? So, you know, in, in China or in Russia, you would have had more like kulaks and you would you would have had a more economic enemy, those kind of things. I mean, Pol Pot would have had people with glasses, you know, uh, but but in the America, there's particularly this narrative of racial strife. Of course, this is part of the Gramscian uh, import of Marxism, making sure to focus on things like uh like ra like race or gender or, you know uh, biological sex whatever in instead of dealing with class differences that kind of thing this is kind of the mutation that allowed the revolution to take more hold in the west than than in kind of the the class and economic revolution did uh but but even though it's again it's not the the revolution eating its own is not unique but that particular aspect the wokeness is something that that I think was was created specifically to be more effective in the West. So by kind of linking the classically pro-Israel institutional liberals to conservatives, the woke can kind of recast themselves as victims of oppression. They get to be renegades who are once again punished by a McCarthyite reactionaries, right? You get to you get to say, "Oh, look at the look at this. I'm I'm being fired from my job. I'm I'm being uh, kind of singled out for what I'm doing. And, and that shows that once again, I'm on the edge. I'm the rebel. You know, I, they wouldn't be coming after me if I wasn't saying something dangerous. And so all of a sudden you can kind of reestablish your cred as a revolutionary with, with the, with the left. If you kind of glom onto the Palestinian cause. Now, I think this is amazing because you can look at headlines from things like vice magazine. And they literally had a, I believe it was Vice, they had a headline that said, uh, it feels like the new McCarthyism, how Israel and the Hamas war is redefining the limits of free speech. Uh, and, and they're saying, you know, it feels like uh, like the rules of free speech are changing before your eyes. Now, you have to you have to have an amazing ideological blindness to believe this. This is just a work of raw ideological delusion to think that these people who might, may or may not actually be getting fired for their pro-Palestinian stances are, are the only people getting fired for their political beliefs, that this is something new. This is the new McCarthyism. 
This is the new persecution. This is changing the rules of the game. Of course, anyone on the right knows that they are being fired left and, well, right for their political beliefs. Guys can be fired from their own companies. You know, the guy with Oracle and Papa John and, you know, all these people, they can get fired from their own companies. They can lose control of their own companies for having the wrong political beliefs or stances, these kind of things. It's very easy for people to get persecuted at a large, you know, Fortune 500 company or just on social media. You know, they can they can get fired by proxy uh, for just having the wrong idea somewhere. So, of course, in, anyone living in the real world knows that people on the right have to shut up constantly. They have to censor themselves constantly. They have to rewrite their own thoughts constantly in the desperate hope that they're not going to you know, get fired for this stuff. And so, uh, you know, the, the idea that this is suddenly a war on free speech, that this is suddenly a war on the ability to kind of speak your mind when it comes to politics is insane. But if you're on the left and you thought like all of that stuff is justified and people on the right aren't real people, well, this might be the first time in a long time you've actually cared about free speech. And all of a sudden it's the return of free speech arguments and people at Rolling Stone or, you know, Hollywood Reporter or, you know, a Fortune 500 company, they have to be able to say, you know, uh, yay, Palestine. And if they get fired for that, well, this is the return of actual, uh, you know, uh, sp uh, speech enforcement speech codes. Again, people on the right have been completely decimated for saying that, you know, men and women are different and, you know, men can't become women. It's still up in the air whether or not, you know, content will get removed or, or, or people will get banned from social media for saying things like that. But of course, none of that matters because it wasn't left wing. And so now, that the oppressor narrative, the oppressor oppressed narrative can come back. And once again, people on the left are the ones that are actually, uh, you know, pushing things uh, and, and changing things. Now, it's it's really interesting because this, of course, puts left wing Jews in a tight spot. If you're a progressive Jewish person and uh, Yoram Herzoni actually had a thread on this that was very interesting uh, yesterday. Uh, but, you know, they were part of the progressive alliance and they generally, of course, want to continue to be part of the progressive alliance and one of the ways they continue to do that even though progressive jews and muslims should in theory of course be at odds right like that that would make sense that you know most muslim countries aren't big fans of jews and i think a lot of progressive jews are perfectly aware of that fact but the reason there was always kind of detente between them is they could kind of point everyone in the progressive coalition at conservative america and be like well, as long as you go ahead and, uh, you know, hate these people, as long as you go ahead and fight against these people, as long as you're trying to disassemble kind of traditional America, well, then you don't have to look at each other and you don't have to figure out if there's any kind of problems between you. But, you know, now that we've got the shift in mass immigration, bringing in a lot more uh, people from many of these Arab countries or, or other Muslim countries that would kind of in innately side with Palestine. And you have a lot more of this colonization narrative. All of a sudden, th there's this shift, and and you know these people who have been sitting in a coalition together suddenly realize that th there's more of a faction there than than perhaps they had paid attention to originally. So, in addition to kind of the colonization narrative that's grown in power as a critical part of woke ideology, it's also been difficult to kind of ignore. Uh, the Israeli-Palestine narrative when it comes to this colonization uh, issue uh, and it's different dynamic. You know, you've got a lot of people who were defending Israel out of habit, probably in the establishment left, but it's been made clear to them that actually the vanguard, 
the people who are who are kind of pushing things more and more towards a woke direction are on kind of team Palestine. And if you've been part of a leftist purity spiral, if you've been part of kind of this revolutionary fervor, then you know that you want to be on the vanguard side and not really on the establishment side. When it comes to the question of who's going to win a showdown between the establishment and the vanguard, the establishment might be able to, quote unquote, uh, kind of put the woke away for a while. However, eventually the uh, the vanguard usually triumph. They end up pulling people the direction that they want. They, they may lose in the short term. They may not have as many of the jobs or those kind of things. But it's clear that the way to win a war of, of kind of ideological purity is to always move towards the woke direction. And so this leaves a lot of people in the kind of uh, who are progressive Jews or who were part of kind of the leftist uh, establishment who kind of instinctively wanted to defend uh, Israel. It leaves them in a situation where they're kind of kind of be on a side that they know is eventually going to lose momentum. And if you want to see how that works, you can look kind of at what happened with Rashida Tlaib. So obviously, you know, you've got someone like Rashida Tlaib and she's got the Palestinian flag around and she's waving it around. And to be clear, it's wildly inappropriate uh, for people of any political party or any, you know, uh, uh, nationality to be waving a, a flag that is not the American flag in Congress or pretty much anywhere else, really. But specifically, if, if you're if you're a congressional representative, if you're, you're a senator, you, you should not be wearing, you know, Ukrainian flags or Palestinian flags or Israeli flags on your lapels. You shouldn't be putting them in your profiles. You shouldn't, you know, you, you are supposed to be there to represent Americans. And no matter where they, in theory, came from, the idea, if any of this is going to work, if you're going to be, and it, it might not, but if any of this kind of, you know, uh, if immigration things are going to work, you, you have to have a scenario where once people are here, their their loyalty is to America, and they are Americans, and, uh, you know, they coalesce as one identity as an American, and the people who are representing them represent America, and not America plus Israel, or America plus Palestine, or America plus Ukraine or America plus wherever it, you should be an American and that should be the end of it. However, obviously, you know, there's nothing magical about crossing into the United States and many people bring, you know, kind of their previous identities, previous traditions, previous cultures, previous loyalties with them once they're kind of in the United States. However, Rashida Tlaib is, is somebody who obviously is very vocally pro-Palestinian and she was recently censured by the Congress. Now, getting censured by Congress is, you know, doesn't really do anything. Technically, it's it's supposed to be a big deal, but it, it's not a huge deal. However, um, the interesting dynamic uh, is how she got censured. Censured. Yes, it's technically bipartisan. You needed it to be bipartisan. However, only twenty-two Democrats sided with Rashid, or sided with the Republicans to censor her. So the vast majority of Democrats did not actually take action to speak out against or punish her for her kind of pro-Palestinian stance. Well, why is that? Well, because the vast majority of them probably wanted to be seen as part of the vanguard or not taking a stance on the issue. They recognized that actually it might hurt me to come out as kind of uh, you know, uh, against uh, Rashida Tlaib or kind of against Palestine because the vanguard is pushing. A lot of people think that there's this 
there's this kind of clash in the left, but really, again, it serves as kind of the internal revolution that allows their narrative to continue. And it also uh, allows them to kind of pull everything leftward. And so it's far more likely that Nancy Pelosi is going to take steps towards Rashida Tlaib than uh, Tlaib is going to take steps towards Nancy Pelosi. And so you're going to see that dynamic play out kind of over and over again. Uh, it, it plays out at the highest levels in Congress, but it's going to play out far more dynamically in places like universities, which are actually far more likely to cave to the vanguard than something like the United States Congress. So I think over time, you're going to see that the kind of this, this Palestinian side, this woke side, that's going to win out in kind of this leftist civil war. Now, for a lot of... This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Uh, you know, Republicans or right-wingers, you might be thinking to yourself, oh, well, this is great, right? I mean, it's great that the left is battling itself. It's great that they're fighting amongst themselves. Uh, you know, this internal, you know, uh, uh, battle is going to do damage. It has to do damage. And so isn't that great for the right? Isn't that, doesn't that kind of put the right where it wants to be with, with the left kind of eating its own. And now the, the right is going to win this thing. But I want you to think back because it's not that long ago, right? If you look back to kind of the, uh, the evolution of what we now call wokeness, uh, you can look back to all the way to, I think, the, its origin at the very least, which is the 1960s and kind of the civil rights revolution. And you can look at what happened inside in those institutions. A lot of people thought that those institutions were tearing themselves apart, that, you know, the university, the, the students are attacking the campus, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, for a time, it looked like the, you know, kind of the, the deans of those, of those uh, universities, the, the establishment of those universities, we're fighting back against the students in some way, shape, or form. However, over time, we saw that actually the students, the wokeness, the, the progressives, the, le the, the more radical leftists, were actually winning, even though there was a, con a contest uh, in, inside those institutions. Uh, the more radical elements, while they seemed to be pushed out, pushed out at the time, their indelible mark kind of stood, and the, the people who were more radical are the ones who came back and became professors. They're the ones that became faculty. They're the ones that kind of set the tone going forward. And so those institutions, while they, they resisted, in theory, radicalization somewhat in the 60s, uh, they, they obviously became far more radical over time. And we can see this manifest itself again in the 2000s uh, with kind of the, the, uh, the social justice movement, right? This is, this is often seen as the precursor to the current wokeness, even though I think it goes back far further. And uh, I think a lot of people look at that movement on, you know, at the time, I remember distinctly when all this was happening on campuses uh, with kind of the, you know, the, the, the different uh, far leftist factions that were shutting down speakers and holding demonstrations and things in the uh, kind of early to mid uh, 2010s. And in a lot of situations, people just looked at that and they said, oh, well, this is the same in the as the 1960s. And they were right about that, but they didn't understand the way in which they meant it. 
they thought, oh, well, in the 1960s, all these kids had to grow up and get jobs. And so, uh, you know, eventually this stuff just kind of went away. Of course, it didn't go to away, go away. And it actually became kind of the core doctrine of the United States. And the same thing happened again in the in the 2010s. All of these uh, SJWs, as they were called at the time, the social justice warriors, who were supposed to be these campus radicals that were going to, you know, realize that they needed to grow up and get a real job and move on and adopt kind of more bourgeoisie norms and those kind of things. What actually happened is they just took their radical ideology and they carried it into the real world with them rather than the real world knocking the ideology out of the rather the radical progressives. The radical progressives carried that into the uh, the boardroom. And because, of course, universities are the breeding ground for our ruling class, uh, you know, for better or for worse, definitely worse, in my opinion. Uh, because it is the place where we train young leaders, where we train the next generation of people who are going to be CEOs, they're going to sit on boards, they're going to, uh, you know, run uh, military branches, they're going to run for office, like the people who are going to make the media, and they're the people who are going to write the books, like they're all going to college. And because all those people were progressive, radically progressive, they took all that into a ruling class. And the politics of the radical left in the college once again became the the politics of our ruling class in the boardroom, uh, in the media, uh, in everywhere you can imagine. And so I, th I think I would be careful of that assuming that just because a leftist civil war is occurring, that just because we can see a fissure kind of forming between these two groups in the left, assuming that that means that our enemies are just going to destroy each other. Because we always say that, right? The revolution eats its own. The revolution eats its own. Oh, look at the leftists. They're coming after each other again. But what happens? Well, the left keeps getting farther left and the middle keeps going further left. And let's be honest, the right keeps going further left. And so these puri spirals leftward don't end up destroying progressivism. Instead, they end up dragging the entirety of the culture along with them, right? And this is this is kind of the ratchet demonstration that I've uh, you know the the illustration rather that I've given you guys so many times. You know, today's liberals become tomorrow's conservatives, and so even if we see a lot of kind of these establishment leftists uh, shed themselves from the more radical progressive movement, those people don't just fall out of power. They move from kind of the left wing camp over to the right wing camp. We call this neoconservatism. Today, neoconservatism is attached to the idea of going to endless wars. And I use it that way sometimes too. But that wasn't originally kind of what the movement was. Yes, Trotskyites that came over, former communists, they did have this idea of the global revolution. And so they were kind of uh, foreign policy interventionists that wanted to go to war. But also a large amount of them were just people who got mugged. You know, the old saying, uh, a conservative is a, a liberal that got mugged. And that was really true. A lot of people um, who were subject to violence inside of large American cities, some of them Jewish, ended up moving from the left to the right because they realized that kind of the leftist coalition was not protecting them the way that the left is handling things like violent crime was not working in American cities. And so the neoconservative movement formed from a lot of people who took many leftist priors, but they brought them into the conservative movement. 
And that ended up being uh, something that drove conservatives for a very long time. In fact, to this day, uh, you know, a large amount of the kind of moneyed establishment inside the Republican Party, inside the right, is uh, neoconservative in its direction. Even if they're not war hawks, though many of them are, as I think we saw from everything that happened in Ukraine, uh, they, they tend to be people who have uh, kind of this, this neoconservative bent of open markets, free markets will kind of solve everything. It's all about economic liberalism. You know, that, that will kind of solve every situation. But we should probably have some laws against crime. It, you know, we, we can't just let every felon out after two years due to racial injustice. We, we, we do actually have to keep some level of order. And so that's kind of how the, the, the liberal establishment becomes the conservative establishment. The ratchet always moves one direction. You know, the, the, these uh, cast off centrist liberals move over and become central uh, rightists. And because they have a lot of clout and connections, they often move into kind of positions of authority. And then they end up shifting the conservative movement to the left. And now large chunks of the conservative movement, you know, were just what liberalism was 20 or 30 years ago, which is why, you know, the, the famous quote from Ronald Reagan, you know, I didn't leave the left, the left left me, gets repeated so often by people who join the right. Well, if if you didn't leave the left and the left left you, that means you're still left wing. That means you're still, if you didn't leave the left, okay, they got more radical, but you still stayed left wing, which means you're still much further left than the people who were conservative. And if the people who were left keep moving over to the conservative camp and they keep drowning out the ideas that were once conservative, then that drags the entire thing to the left. So that's kind of the key is this, this internal, this eternal revolution that wokeness allows, uh, allows the whole neocon cycle to start over again. The woke, the woke faction drags the wider democratic party radically left. The establishment liberals understand their kind of dangerous position. Some of them become more radical. Most of them will become more radical, honestly, and will join the woke progressives. But some of them will keep kind of their establishment liberal bona fides and will move themselves over to the conservative movement. The conservative movement will welcome them in because, man, more people, right? Amazing. This is how we win. The left is crazy and this is how we win. And so those people come over to the right and they like get positions of leadership. They gain influence. They start driving the conversation. And all of a sudden you have a scenario in which the, the right is adopting many of the uh, beliefs that the left held 20 years ago in hopes that this will make them more electorally appealing to all these people who are being cast off by the progressives. Now, I, I do have, you know, I know this can sound kind of dire. However, I do have some good news for you. While Cthulhu does always swim to the left, there is a end to this. Like there, there is only so much you can eat up this way. There's only so far you can go radically to the left. There's only so many of your revolutionaries you can consume before things get wild. Now we've seen this in many other left-wing revolutions. You know, you know Stalin you know, is able to stabilize, uh, you know, the the Russian communism for a, for a good while because he basically stops the revolution. He says, nope, we're done now. We're done purity spiraling. He, he actually brings in for better, you know, for a lack of a better word, right wing, the right wing version of communism. Uh, he, he brings that in and uh, kind of solidifies things. So there, there is that possibility. That's the bad ending. Obviously we don't, we don't want uh, you know, a, a left wing dictator to 
kind of stabilize the revolution, even though that yeah, I guess that's better than than completely uh, complete destruction of the minds of many people. But it, it's bad overall, unless you think living under Stalin is a is a good ending. However, uh, th there is, of course, the other one, which is basically the revolution pushes the institutions to the breaking point. Nothing works anymore. Uh, and people look for someone who is much more right wing to come in and kind of uh, reform the country, fix these institutions, make things work again, make things safe again. At some point, people want to be able to walk the streets. They want to be able to shop at the grocery store. And they're less interested in trying to figure out where you fit on the oppression scale of gender identity. Uh, it might take a while. It takes a long time and things have to get very bad for a lot of that to happen. However, um, I think that it, that that is something that is uh, a possibility. There, there is a end to the leftist revolution. It does kind of run out of steam eventually. So uh, I just wanted to explain that, guys, kind of how the the current leftist civil war isn't necessarily. I, I don't want to say it's good or bad. It's just part of the. It's part of the dialectic. It's part of the system. Part of the ratchet. Um, it, it has some upsides. It has some downsides. We should understand the mechanics that are at play in this and not think that just because leftists are fighting, it's good for us, but also realize that, you know, while, while the ratchet is kind of brutal uh, and, it, and it is, it does uh, do a lot of damage. Uh, there is an end to this. There, there is only so far that you know, wokeness can run. One of the reasons that my buddy academic agent thinks that wokeness will get put away is because of its incredibly destructive nature. He basically is looking for managerial Stalin, right? So rather than Stalin, the communist, he's looking for like a Tony Blair, figure who's a hyper competent manager uh who just says okay uh you know the radical left are just dismantling the country things are too far uh we can't land planes we can't get groceries uh we can't pump gas uh this is going to destroy civilization we're going to stop the revolution right here uh dial things back a few notches go back to fresh prints as uh as uh, academic agent would say and kind of get things back to a form of liberalism or progressivism that was at least manageable and uh, could allow the country to prosper to some degree, have decent lives, that kind of thing. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the mechanical advance is necessary uh, to wokeness, but of course, only time will tell. Uh, we've got a cigar uh, resting on this bed, so I expect to be smoking a fine cigar at the end of this, but, uh, but we'll certainly have to see which one of us is right. All right, guys. So before we head over to uh, the questions of the people, because we got a decent amount of questions here. I want to tell you a little bit about a movie that is now for sale over at The Blaze called The Blind. For years, Hollywood's been lacking when it comes to stories of redemption. Movies and TV shows have trended towards the anti-hero, a flawed person who makes no effort to change and just becomes worse and worse as the story goes on. Well, here's some great news. The Blind, the true story of the Robertson family is now available for purchase on Blaze TV. Maybe you've made a mess of your life. Maybe someone you love is in a dark place. Maybe all of the above. If you or someone you know feels beyond redemption, you need to watch this movie. And you'll see there's always hope. The Blind takes you on an incredible journey through the life of Phil Robertson, giving you an intimate look into the man behind the legend and the trials, triumphs, and values that shaped him through the years. While The Blind wasn't a Blaze Media production, since Phil is such a big part of our Blaze TV family, we wanted to make sure that you had the opportunity to stream it here. Because it isn't ours, we can't include it as part of the subscription. But if you'd rather purchase it and stream it, here rather than Apple or Amazon, we wanted to make sure that you had the opportunity to do that. Make sure to act now. Don't miss this opportunity to own The Blind, a Phil Robinson story on Blaze TV. You can buy it today at blazetv.com, The Blind, for $19.99. That's blazetv.com slash 
the blind. All right, guys. So let's go ahead and take a look at your questions here. Mint 20 for $10. Thank you very much, sir. No wasting capital attempting uh, attempting to help one side of the conflict and no attempting to onboard whoever loses as a new part of the right, much like the actual conflict in the ME, let them fight each other. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. And I think that's, that's the right approach. Unfortunately, a lot of people have trouble with this level of discipline, but it really needs to be instituted on the right. Uh, first, understand that you're you're not you're not winning a whole lot by having one by backing one side or the other. Uh, you trying to if you if you can somehow increase tensions uh, for force uh, divisions, then with little to no cost for yourself, then maybe that's worth it. But in general, it's not your time. It's not really uh, your side. You're not really helping yourself by making one side stronger or the other. The most important thing is not trying to onboard a bunch of people who get thrown out after this. Right. You don't want a bunch of people coming around and putting them in leadership positions just because. They used to be on the other side. This is a really bad habit that the right has. Um, again, I didn't leave the left. The left left me. This is something that the right does all the time. And it's it's a mistake. You need to understand, yes, there could be serious converts. There could be people who really, truly do see the light after this. And they do say, okay, I need to change my ways. However, you'll be able to tell the difference because the 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 people who are like, well, I didn't leave the left and I was right this whole time and I still believe everything I believe. Those are people who are unrepentant. Those are people who don't think they did anything wrong. Those are people who think that you should have conformed to them. And they're only over here because the people standing next to them got too radical. They're not actually your allies. You will every once in a while get someone who truly says, look, I was completely wrong. I'm doing a 180. I'm throwing all of my beliefs in the garbage because they were all bad. And I am now on your side. I've met a couple of those people. They do exist. You still maybe not rush them to the front of the line when it comes to leadership. However, their their conversion is far more sincere. Uh, Life of Brian here for four ninety nine. Uh, with the Spanish Revolt, we can now witness just how impotent a massive disorganized mass can be. Yes, for those who don't know, uh, there there is a uh, kind of a large scale protest against uh, the kind of socialism in Spain. I don't know all of the details, so I'm not. I don't want to speak with a ton of authority. But uh, it, it is very clear, I think, for a lot of people when they look at events like this, that while you might see popular movements, I mean, you think about Bolsonaro, uh, then you, you think about what happened with Trump, you see what happens uh, then in Spain. We repeatedly see that uh, just showing up in mass, having a big protest, those kind of things, those that is not sufficient. That is not an actual plan. It might be at some point a necessary part of an overall uh, kind of change in what is happening. But that does not in and of itself actually drive change. And so it's a mistake to go out and kind of involve yourself in large disorganized movements that have no real objective and are very likely to get punished by the regime. Uh, you, you really want to make sure, again, I'm not saying that these things can never be successful, but when they're successful, they are attached directly to a well-planned movement that is prepared to take power, not kind of loosely moving towards uh, you know, uh, dissatisfaction against a regime that has the ability to punish you and does so regularly. Rupert Weeder for $2. I don't want to send soldiers to war. That is all. I mean, yeah, I'm with you, man. In this case, I understand what you're saying. You know, it, the United States to not be involving itself in Ukrainian conflicts or, or, or uh, the conflict between Israel and Palestine. Uh, there's just no reason for the United States to be involved in these foreign wars like this. 
I would I would be careful just saying that, however, that I never want to send soldiers to war. I'm not one of these people who's just anti-war. Uh, not, you know, I, I, I think that war is a part of the human condition and it's going to happen and it's terrible when it does, but it's also uh, just, just part of life and pretending that war is something that we can just eliminate. John Lennon style is pretty, is just as dumb as saying we need to go to war all the time. However, I do think we need to be very careful about the wars we engage in. Uh, and that's kind of what why it matters that you're loyal, first and foremost, to your own country, because you want to make sure that when you go to war, the blood and treasure being spent is spent in the interests of the people of the nation and not any others, not not the elites of that nation, not the corporations of that nation, not the for not any other foreign power, but only for the interests of the people themselves. Uh, and that's hard to do when you have people who are not really interested in the future of the country. Uh, Thuggo here for $7. I think the funniest part was trying to make Palestine woke to get red Americans, America to accept Israel's problems as their problems. Well, I don't think you had to work that hard, to be honest. Uh, there is there is a large amount of uh, kind of uh, you know loyalty, I think, to Israel in much of establishment conservatism. Uh, again, I think Israel has the right to defend itself. I think the things that Hamas did were horrific. Uh, however, I just don't want to be involved in any way, shape, or form in, you know, this is not our place. Uh, this is not our country. I wish them the best. But I, I, don't, I don't think you had to work really hard uh, to get the Palestinians to be labeled as woke. Now, again, that might seem a contradiction because you're like, oh, well, I mean, you know, many of these Muslim countries are incredibly religious and incredibly religiously conservative. And so therefore, shouldn't they clash with like, you know, gender warriors and, and communists? And yeah, they should in theory. But as long as you can keep that central enemy, again, just kind of red America, then you don't have to worry about the different contradictions. So I think a lot of that, you know, no matter how you feel about the the two sides involved, I think a lot of those lines did fall naturally for better or for worse. Uh, let's see. Cooper Weirdo here for $2. I don't know, but this war, but about this war, but um, yeah, I'm not sure what that one means. I think that's a joke there, man, but I'm not quite sure of the reference, but thank you very much for your uh, donation there. Uh, Staffer speaks for $10. Uh, thank you very much. A diversity hire here at this time. Uh, uh, at this time, which would be best, conser uh, converting your local GOP into adopting positions of the dissident right, working inside the global American empire, Dems and Uniparty as a saboteur. Love your work. Well, thank you very much, man. I appreciate it. Uh, so that's a very interesting question. Uh, entryism for the purpose of sabotage is an interesting idea. However, I'm going to go with the old accelerationist line that you can't do more damage to the global American empire than it's already doing to itself. Uh, yeah, you could get involved and you could, you could try to make the malicious decisions, I guess, or take it down from the inside. But I, I'm a little doubtful about really your ability to, to as one person do that. I think you're far more likely to get converted, honestly, uh, into the lifestyle or the, you know, sympathies of those inside those organizations than it is for you to kind of change those. I will say there are many people I know who are inside the, the kind of the mainstream Republican party, the national Republican party who are working hard to try to move things to the right. 
So I don't want to completely dismiss, I would say joining the dims or any of that stuff, that that's a failing effort. I will say there are people and there there it's usually not the head people. It's usually, you know, guys working in the office, it's staffers, those kind of things. They're trying to pull things to the right. And in some cases they do succeed and God bless them for it. If you can put up with it, that might be a valuable thing. But in general, I would say you're better off making the community around you more conservative, making the community around you stronger, uh, involving yourself in your church, in your local politics. Uh, Sheriff, guys, control the county sheriff. You don't understand how important that role is, especially when you see kind of these radical leftist things like trying to you know, get rid of the, the, the Second Amendment and such. Uh, the county sheriff is a key position. So, so I think in general, that is a better use of your time. However, for those who do have the talent or inclination to enter into the mainstream GOP, I think there are some interesting things happening there. I think there are some forces on the new right that are making some headway. But it's certainly an uphill battle, and I would not rest my, uh, my all of my faith in those because I don't think, at the end of the day, uh, you're, they have your best interests at heart. Uh, let's see. Uh, Deuce Boogaloo for $50. Well, thank you very much, man. I really appreciate that. Very generous here. Can you explain the libertarian response to Israel-Palestine? Why do they feel compelled to create moral equivalency in every conflict and even defend those who's, who'd end up in a, who'd end them in a second? Why do they refuse to acknowledge any evil that is the U.S. government? I think that's in general because uh, libertarians just hate the state. And uh, because they hate the state, uh, all actions of the state are the wrong actions. And so all people acting against the state must be uh, on the right side. I, I think that really is kind of the knee-jerk response for... Now, again, I don't want to you know say this is every libertarian. I know a lot of people who call themselves libertarian who do not have necessarily this reaction, but kind of if, for kind of this general libertarian anti-status uh, response, I think that that is kind of where that comes from, that they, they see the American government as first and foremost the enemy. And to be fair, the American government does a lot more damage than most foreign countries to most Americans. So it's, it's not entirely unfounded, but I think that does cause them to then again, you know, kind of bring that, to the uh, the Israel-Palestine conflict. Again, I think that in general, unless you are an Israeli or a Palestinian, this really shouldn't be something that you're, you're kind of heavily emotionally involved in. Uh, you don't have a real uh, stake in the game and you don't even have like a spiritual or emotional stake in the game. And so really it feels like you're kind of being uh, a, an emotional weapon for a side that probably doesn't care about you at all either way. I don't think either side really cares about you. And so I wouldn't really care about either side, but that, I know a lot of people disagree with that, but that that's just my opinion. Uh, let's see. Thuggo for $5. Wokeness can be put away because it's fake top-down change designed and enforced by institutions. All right. So this is a good challenge. Uh, thank you for uh, donating and giving me a good challenge here. So is wokeness a top-down change designed and enforced by institutions? Yes. It is. That's true. However, it has sat in the American uh, kind of mind in, in kind of the uh, consciousness for so long that I don't think it's entirely top down anymore. I think that while there are parts of wokeness that are very artificial, uh, I think that uh, it has wormed its way into, unfortunately, the hearts and minds of a number of people. And while it is fake and top down most things are top down that change 
and 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 you know uh but most attitudes are enforced by institutions i agree with you that there is a there is a breaking point at which you can't force any more that you will just destroy the nation and institutions because of the artificial nature of what you're pushing however um that won't be wokeness getting put away so much as uh just it breaking down uh so i disagree that that it can be put away um because while you're right that it is fake and top down and enforced by institutions those people are the ones with power those are the ones that drive opinion and they're going to be the ones that continue to kind of enforce ideology so they're only going to accelerate if you're sitting around waiting for the people to like entirely free themselves from institutions again we can just kind of push at the several examples we gave recently you know j- just a few minutes ago of all of these popular movements that are supposed to be pushing back but don't seem to actually convert into any real change because they don't have the support of elite institutions and that really is key mint 20 here uh, again for five dollars waiting for nancy Pelosi or someone to be featured as based and red pilled on someone's channel because she lost because she lost this conflict god protect us all yeah again uh i so the interesting thing is i think that you'll see nancy pelosi dragged into the position i don't think she's going to convert there will be people who convert there will be people who are genuinely shocked about you know uh, a bunch of palestinians you know marching in their neighborhood and, and uh chanting to the from the river to the sea but in general i think most leftists are just going to go with this they're just going to ratchet that direction that's been the pattern over and over again uh, I think Nancy Pelosi as a competent leader, I mean, you say what you want about her. She's a survivor. Uh, she knows how to wield power. She knows how to stay in the good graces of her party. She's probably going to continue to represent that establishment leftist position. However, that establishment leftist position will slowly but surely shift in the direction of the vanguard. Uh, and I think that will be the case with Pelosi. But yes, you should always be on guard against people who are trying to say these people are now based because they lost that showdown. Sharky for $5 is Israel's ability to legally ban American boycotts against them proof of their ability to manipulate American policy contrary to public opinion. Uh, Obviously, the fact that there are any limits on American boycotts uh, placed there because, uh, you know, to keep you from boycotting a foreign country shows some level of influence, right? Like there's just no way that you can deny that. Obviously, if there are laws specifically designed to protect a foreign country and only a specific foreign country in a specific scenario, it's hard to say there, there is no influence there. And so I think that's why I think uh, a lot of people expected Palestine, Palestinians to lose this, expected the more radical elements of the left to lose this, because they thought that that influence would be sufficient to keep the leftist vanguard in line, to keep kind of the, that establishment leftism would serve as a governor and kind of keep the wokeness from pushing too hard. The reason I wanted to talk about this is that doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, people who predicted that the that that was kind of going to keep this from advancing turned out it seems to be wrong. And that makes for a very interesting dynamic. And that's why I wanted to kind of examine this because a lot of people who assumed that, you know, I think it's undeniable that there's a certain level of influence involved when, when you have laws like that. People who thought that it was overwhelming and would be the it was the driving force and would remain the driving force in perpetuity. You know, it was kind of the death star of of the left. I don't think that's true. And I think you can see that because we're looking at kind of the collapse of that idea in real time when it comes to the fact that most establishment leftists are kind of having to 
bend the knee here a little bit to uh, the Palestinian cause. All right, guys. Well, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. But thank you, everybody, for coming by. Uh, if this is your first time here, of course, please make sure that you go ahead and subscribe to the channel. And of course, if you'd like to get these broadcasts as podcasts, you should subscribe to the Orin McIntyre Show on your favorite podcast platform. When you do that, make sure that you get a rating or a review in. It really helps with the algorithm. A uh, couple things, guys. I was uh, over at The Blaze last week, and so you can catch me on a number of shows over The Blaze. I was a guest on uh, Stu's show. I was a guest on James Pulis's show, uh, Zero Hour. I was a guest on uh, The News and Why It Matters with Sarah Gonzalez. So you can check out uh, different appearances there. Uh, also, of course, please make sure you check out the new Blaze website. My columns are appearing there. I've got a uh, a new column that should be coming out in the next day or two. I just turned it in. So make sure that you are checking there uh, so that you can catch all of my work. Thank you once again for coming by, guys. Had a lot of great questions from the chat. And as always, I will talk to you next time.